0: I want to welcome you this morning. My name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here uh, at Element Church, and I want to encourage you to do something. Um, I want to encourage you to do, well, you'll have a couple options. Either um, to grab one of our Bibles that we provide that's in the seats around you, um, to grab one of those, or to open up your phone or your tablet to the Bible app. Um, we're going to spend most of our time in a place uh, titled Romans chapter 8. Now, I'm telling you that ahead of time because that's pretty much where we're going to land and spend most of our time. But for today, these verses are actually not going to be uh, up on the screen for us. Uh, Seth, would you mind turning my mic volume down just a little bit? I'm not sure why that's happening. Perfect. Thank you. Um, We are going to spend... Uh, Our time in Romans chapter 8 and so uh, that gives you a little forewarning if you need to look in the table of contents if maybe you're unsure where Romans is that gives you a little uh, heads up these verses are not going to be on our screen today Um, and and let me tell you why Um, I we're going to look at several verses we're going to walk through the chapter. Um, and it becomes a little difficult when you try to put a lot of text up on the screen at once, Uh, and then especially for those who are running our computer to have to jump back and forth at whatever verse I decide to pick up on uh, and go back to. And so uh, this will be made a lot easier if you have that in front of you. So if you open up the Bible app, I actually already put the entire of Romans chapter 8 in the Bible app for you. If you go to live events, uh, you can find it there, or maybe you've got to open... In your Bible. And um, if, you, if you ever want to read the Bible, but you don't have a great place to start, and you're just kind of wrestling with either, I don't know where to start, or what should I read this week? Or um, while I, I really believe that it would be to your advantage to find a plan, the Bible app has a lot of those available for you. Um, Romans 8 would be a great place to just stop, um, to read through it this week. Uh, Maybe you spend like today and Monday and you just read through the whole thing uh, one time each morning and it would just take you a few minutes. Chapter 8 is not that long. Uh, And then maybe the rest of the week you stop and, and you just read a few verses at a time and really think and reflect on it. There is so much in Romans 8 that we cannot get to today. Um, that's just the reality of it and as we go through it you're going to recognize if you um, have some experience in church um, some some of these verses that we'll cover um, are, are ones that we like to use and say and print on t-shirts or coffee mugs and all, all the the things that Christians like to do with Bible verses um, these some of these uh, are going to come out and you're going to realize oh I didn't realize that was um, in Romans chapter 8 as we jump in today and so um, I said all that just to to encourage you to, to, to Have the Bible open to Romans 8 as we join in together. Um, I'm sure all of you are aware of what took place in Sutherland Springs, uh, Texas, last Sunday. Um, And, um, you know, I think sometimes we can hear about uh, major tragedies, and if we don't know someone personally, um, we usually feel bad for a day or two, but I mean, life goes on. We have to go to work. We have kids that have to go to school. And, and we get into the busyness and routine of life. Um, and, and you begin to move on and you start to become numb to it and forget about it until it happens again. And, uh, and then sometimes um, those tragedies happen to kind of your tribe, your group of people. And for some of you, maybe what happened last Sunday was the first time you thought, um, wow, I wonder if something like that really could take place in my life. Or maybe you've been watching events unfold in our country for a while now thinking, wow, I wonder if that could take place in my life or in my family. Um, and um, the reality is, is specifically in speaking to what, what happened last week, um, persecution against Christians is certainly nothing new. Um, the study, uh, the Center for the Study of Global Christianity uh, estimates that about 100,000 Christians are martyred for their faith uh, every year in their home countries. Um, the, uh, the 2017 World Watch List um, gave out this report recently uh, that it at least as it uh, concerns Christians so far to date this year, um, that about 215 million Christians have experienced high, very high, or extreme levels of persecution in their home countries uh, this year. Um, and according to the World Watch List, 2016 was the worst ever. Um, and and we'll see what the numbers come out to be by the end of this year. Um, and that's concerning Christians in their home countries. Um, but sometimes we don't realize the severity of, of, of an issue or we don't, we don't connect with it emotionally um, because there's distance there. Um, and so a couple of things that I want to say. First of all is I do want to just let you know and reassure you that um, as leaders here, we take your safety and security um, very seriously. Um, and we actually started having some conversations with the Roar Public School System this week um, at um, potentially expanding what they'll permit us to do in regards to security. And, uh, and so we have started that dialogue, and, and it's kind of in their hands at this point of um, uh, waiting for their response to some of the things that we have proposed being able to do. Um, but we take that very seriously. Uh, so I want you to know that, that, that um, we certainly don't put our heads in the sand um, and are thinking through those issues even for, um, for our church. Uh, but secondly, um, I want to I talk about how we approach tragedy. And it doesn't have to be a mass shooting. It could be Hurricane Harvey striking Houston. Um, even something that's labeled a natural disaster um, strikes tragedy in the in the lives of those that it directly affects, um, maybe some of you have lived in territories that receive natural disasters. Like I have never been anywhere close to a hurricane, uh, have no concept for what it's like um, or how you even mentally or physically prepare for such a thing. Um, you know, many of you know Billy, uh, who used to be our worship leader. Um, you know, they moved to Florida, and, and I, we were talking through them, through their preparations for Hurricane, uh, was it Irma? Irma, yeah. Um, and uh, just just such a foreign world to me that you would put up plywood in front of your windows. Um, but I did grow up in, in Oklahoma, and while we certainly don't deal with hurricanes, tornadoes are a regular occurrence. Um, you know, like here... If there's like a mini tornado in the sky like 50 miles away, the sirens go off, which is so foreign to me in Oklahoma, and I'm sure Kansas is the same way. When the siren goes off, that means death is at your doorstep. Like like we used to go out, yeah, we used to go outside when the sirens went off because that meant the tornado was overhead. Literally, I lived in a river valley and for whatever reason, and I don't I'm I'm not a meteorologist, although that was my childhood dream, to be the weather guy on TV. That's no lie. Until God called me into ministry, that's I wanted to be the weather guy on, on TV. Um, but we lived in a river valley, and tornadoes would come right through, and then right as it hit the river valley, for whatever reason, would pick up off the ground and then go over us and then set back down. And I can't tell you how many times as a kid we would go outside and look and and. The rotation was right above us. It just never was on the ground. And so just a different world, right? But um, although I never, our house was never hit by a tornado, a number of my family members were. Um, houses completely destroyed. Um, my aunt and, and uncle one time had their, uh, excuse me, it was my cousins, uh, had their, their roof t- totally taken off their house. And uh, fortunately, they were not home at the time. Um, But the wind, it ripped the roof off, not just the shingles, the entire roof off. The wind was strong enough that it opened every drawer in their home. And I don't know how this worked. Nothing was out of the drawers. It took nothing out. So, like, all their clothes were still folded neatly in their drawers. Um, But every drawer in the house had been pulled open through the wind. I mean, just crazy things. And seeing two-by-fours and pieces of straw, like, stuck into bricks... Um, and so just being a part of that tragedy, understanding uh, the devastation that can come, and it doesn't just have to be at the hands of another human. Uh, how do we approach tragedy, and what is it that, that makes our approach different, and what is it that makes our approach something that the rest of the world needs to know and needs to understand, and it is our hope and desire For them to experience. So let's jump into Romans chapter 8. And I said I'm going to jump around a little bit. So I'll tell you what verses I'm in. And then we'll kind of continue uh, going on. So um, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Again, there is so much in this chapter that we're just not going to have the time um, to dive in and dissect and discuss uh, every piece of this, but but I think this is sort of the foundation uh, that that gives us hope in the midst of tragedy, whether it's mass tragedy, nationwide tragedy, or maybe it's just personal tragedy, something a loss that you have suffered personally that maybe doesn't affect a lot of those around you and it may be something that not a lot of people even know about but it's this as our foundation of knowing that there is a special place for those who are in Christ Jesus and this is one of the things that we're just not going to cover today but but I think even that phrase in Jesus is significant he didn't say those who acknowledge Jesus as a historical figure or those who think he was a good moral philosopher or even those who really like him and want to sing songs about him and want to pray about him or to him, but those who are found in him. That's an identity statement. and I, I think it's important to, to just quickly point that out. Verse. Uh, let's jump down to verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Um, I wanted to read those verses specifically because I want to to set up this this argument that Paul is going to begin making in Romans chapter 8, this difference between flesh and spirit. Now we'll get a little bit more into it, but, but this is sort of the dichotomy that he is setting up for his readers. Jump down to verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness." If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now here's what I think is important for us to mention for this moment. Again, there's so much more in here for us to unpack. But here's what I want you to know. He's talking about flesh and spirit, life and death, right? Have you seen these dichotomies that he is setting up? Flesh and spirit, life, death, and then he talks about the Spirit giving life to your mortal bodies. Jesus giving life to your mortal bodies. So now we start to realize that Paul is, is trying to get us outside of just traditional physical limitations. He's talking about Jesus giving life to your mortal body, a recognition that when we talk about things in church or when the Bible mentions things like eternal life, that we don't believe that, oh, our physical bodies will just live forever. It's like we found some kind of, um, we found the, the fountain of youth, right? That's not what we recognize to, to be what the Bible is talking about, but that it's a different category of life. And so a recognition that, that Jesus gives us something that we don't possess in and of ourselves as we sit here today. That we can acknowledge that there's a life and a death, that there's mortality, but Jesus offers something that breaks beyond those categories. And I think that's an important recognition for the discussion we're having today. Jump down to verse 15. So in light of this spirit-flesh dichotomy, in in light of the reality of, of a recognition that for those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation, and that Jesus brings a new category of life to people that goes beyond just the life we experience in our mortal bodies. Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is, again, painting this foundation, building this foundation for for where our hope comes from that that the spirit does something in us here that we don't have to fall back into fear and why the answer is because we've been given adoption we've been given the spirit of adoption So for Paul, as he's making this argument, this understanding that we've been given a spirit of adoption, that our identity begins to change, so that now we can call the creator of the universe Father. If you grow up in church, you grew up just associating God with this heavenly Father, and so it may not even strike you as unusual, but, but if you stop to think about it, There are a lot of assumptions being made when you call the creator of the universe your father that we may not even stop to think about because it's just become accustomed to us. And the Bible says this is why we don't have fear. Not not momentary fear, not we're not talking about like, oh, you should never be afraid of snakes or spiders or, or anything like that. That we shouldn't recognize legitimate dangers. But from an identity standpoint, we don't have a spirit of fear. And the reason why, the Bible says, is because we have a spirit of adoption. Because now we call the creator of the universe father. And if we call the creator of the universe father, the implications of that, is the Bible's teaching here, is that you and I become heirs. That if we can call the creator of the universe father, then we're subject to an inheritance. This is why we don't have a spirit of fear. Because we have a spirit of adoption where we can call the creator of the universe, Father. Let's continue moving on. Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. We have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So, Paul is going to use some metaphors to help teach this principle and really help define where our hope comes from, and what keeps our hope before us. You know, it's easy to have hope when things are going well. But how do you have hope in the midst of tragedy? How do you have hope when you look around and it feels like things are getting worse, not better? How do you have hope when you think, I could be next? How do you have hope when you feel like, There's no answers and we're not making progress. And Paul makes this this case. We eagerly await, we have hope for what's to come because we've had the first fruits. He says that in verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Does anybody in here like appetizers, like when you go out to eat? Yep. Yep. Okay. So here's the right answer. Every one of us love them. Most of us are too cheap to buy them, right? That's how I am. Like I I get a menu and I'm like, oh my gosh, I want all of this before my actual meal comes, but I'm way too cheap. So I'm like, no, everyone gets water and you two are going to share a plate and this is how we do it. This is because I'm so cheap, okay? So the answer is we would all love appetizers if, if we had endless amounts of money, right? You would get the onion ring tower that's seven feet tall everywhere you go, right? Here's what Paul is, is trying to communicate. We have been given an appetizer of the goodness of God. And it's so good that we can only imagine what the full course will be like. We find hope and peace and forgiveness, grace and mercy. We understand, even though it doesn't take its fullest expression in this life, that Jesus is changing our identity, changing who we are from the inside out, and it gives us hope because it's just a taste of what's to come. It's as if we've had the best appetizer of our lives and can only dream about how good the main course will be. Because our hope isn't built on this foundation that says, this is as good as it's going to get. Our hope is built on, God is so good now, how much better will it be when I understand and experience him fully? And so the darkness around us doesn't have to drown out the light that we experience, the light that we see, the light that lives inside of us, even if at times the light's not as bright as we want it to be. It's a recognition that one day the light will push back and conquer the darkness that gives us hope. I want us to look at... Um, There comes a moment sometimes when, whether it's a national tragedy, a natural disaster, or maybe just a personal loss, a personal feeling of destruction, an and emptiness, and um, unmet expectations, that it almost becomes at a moment hard to know how to pray hard to know what to even say where do the words supposed to come from and here god comforts us in going hey sometimes what you're experiencing is too deep for words but we take heart that god understands what's going on inside of us and part of the reason that we have hope and we take comfort is romans 8:28 here and we know that for those who love god all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. First of all, note what it doesn't say is that all things are good. It doesn't say that. Not all things are good. Not all situations are good. But that in all things, through all things, despite all things, God is going to work together for good. A recognition that even though we are out of control, God and his purposes is doing something for good, despite what may be going on. And here's the other important thing for us to recognize. What it doesn't say is that God is working together all things for your good. But that God is working all things together for good. Maybe we could even supplement that or describe that as ultimate good. And that can be hard to wrestle with and recognize at times, that maybe in the midst of what's going on, it may not be, especially in that moment, for our good, but that God is working together for a bigger purpose. And important to recognize that. One more. Verse 31. nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation we will be able to separate us from the love of god in christ jesus there's no one or no situation that has more power and control on your life than god and it is there that our hope resides that God is sovereign and in control. Notice Paul here didn't say, hey, if you love Jesus, then you'll be protected from persecution and famine and and danger and sword and distress and tribulation and this whole list of things. He never said we'd be protected from it. He said none of it can defeat you. None of it can separate you from the love of Christ. If God is for us, who can be against us? And That's where our ultimate hope lies. That nothing happens to us outside of God's purpose. Even if that situation can't be called good, we understand that God will work it together for ultimate good. Because none of it can defeat us. Not because we're good. Not because we're strong. But because God is. Uh, First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas. Um, Frank Pomeroy is the senior pastor there who was, I'm sure, if you've been reading reports and news stories on the shooting last week, who was not there uh, at the time of the shooting. Him and his wife uh, were out of town. But his 14-year-old daughter was in attendance at church and was killed. Um, I want to read and mention some things that he said. The week before, the week before this took place and before he went out of town, um, and he was preaching on trusting Christ, and he said that there are going to be things that we don't understand, but we are called to trust him instead of our own understandings. And then Pastor Pomeroy read from Proverbs 3, 5-6. through 6, It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Um, when we as believers make a commitment to follow Christ, that commitment includes sacrificing everything in pursuit of him. Jesus told a group of people who were literally following him from town to town at one point, he said, if you want to follow me, that you need to take up your cross. You're going to have to be willing to sacrifice everything. You're going to have to be willing to die to yourself and your desires and your wants if you want to follow me. To follow Christ means to sacrifice everything. And there were 26 people who did that last week. Who woke up and decided, hey, I'm going to make the commitment to be a part of fellowship and worship and community. And it cost them their lives for it. This is how Pastor Pomeroy ended his message the week before the shooting, by inviting people to trust Christ. And that may seem difficult when it feels like things are out of control, whether it's on a grand scale or maybe just in your own personal life. But I think one thing we can do is something that this pastor said two weeks ago. He said, maybe it's time to quit fighting and say, Lord, here I am. I see heaven in the future. I see your glory before me. That's where I want to go. How do I get there? That we have an anchor when we are in Christ. An anchor that our hope is tied to. Even when things are taking place that we don't understand, our anchor is rooted in who Christ is. And what we get to experience here is a recognition that we are just getting the first fruits. We are just getting an appetizer. That we are just getting a taste of what is to come. And that's what brings hope. Uh, Kevin Cornelius is a pastor of a First Baptist church that's just in the neighboring small town of Souther- from Sutherland Springs. Uh, and and. He was interviewed this week about like what are you doing, like how are you handling this tragedy, like how do you approach this whole situation, Um, and and this was this was his response this week. He said, "The church still works. We don't have a plan, but we have a community. We don't have answers, but we have grace and peace. We don't understand, but we're present. Our hearts are breaking." but we have hope and we're giving it away as quickly as we can. And I think that's where the rubber meets the road for you and I this morning. Is an examination of our own lives about are we rooted, is our identity rooted in Christ and do we have that foundation for which we can build our hope upon? And are we giving out hope as fast as we can? Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for our time together this morning. and Lord, we celebrate, even in the midst of tragedy, that you are good. That you are worthy. celebrate what you've done so that our hope can be found in you I'm going to invite you to take a moment just to continue praying right where you sit right where you sit and this is a time for personal examination this is your time sort of undirected where we give you the freedom to do as you feel God is leading you and tugging on your heart. An opportunity for you to perhaps stand and sing and celebrate your hope, celebrate your identity in Christ and the first fruits, that appetizer of his goodness that we get to taste now and patiently wait for to be revealed one day. This is an opportunity where maybe you want to stay where you're seated. Just in an attitude of prayer and meditation and maybe there's some things that you're working through in your mind that you that you want to continue to work through. At the back is our communion table an opportunity for you to To remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us so that our hope can be found in him. No longer in our best efforts in our religious to-do list but in what he has already done. And this moment will be an opportunity for you to do that. But I want you to take a moment even now to just Examine your own heart and your own life about where your hope resides and maybe even deeper than that, where you find your identity. Is your identity rooted in Christ? Not just an acknowledgement of Him or or an occasional passing thought about Him, or your best efforts to please Him, but is your identity rooted in Him? Because you've forsaken all, died to yourself so that you can find life in Him. Have you given Him your all? And if you have, then maybe the question for you this morning is, are you giving away hope? Because you have people around you who, maybe it's not a, a mass shooting, maybe it's something much different, but they're wrestling with how to make sense of this world, how to make sense of life and the meaning of their life and the purpose of their life and why they're here and where they're going. And are you actively seeking to give away hope? And maybe in this moment, you allow God to start speaking to you about how to do that and the ways in which you can be an agent of spreading hope to others, a hope that only Jesus offers. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the opportunity to come and to Celebrate who you are and what you've done. Would you be honored by all that we say, do, think here this morning?